is good to be with you this morning. Thank you for leading us in a great time of worship and prayer and uh, just all the exciting updates. And uh, Jordan, we are so excited for you and your family. And we are also heavy in prayer for you and your family and for little Felix. And um, I wanted to uh, get us started uh, this morning. Uh, I don't want to repeat uh, what Roger shared last week. And uh, at the same time, we have to be able to go back a little just so that we can have context of, of where we're heading to at least this morning in 1 Corinthians 1, uh, verses 10 through 17. That's what I'll be preaching out of. So I just wanted to kind of give you, a, a, again, a reminder of what we were looking at in uh, Corinth. And uh, I just loved this concise um, description of Corinth from uh, Dr. Charles Ryrie. He said, it was a major city with a population of more than half a million people. And Corinth was ideally located uh, in southern Greece between two seaports. It profited greatly from the trade that passed through those ports. And many business people and sailors came to Corinth and did sinful things there they would not do at home, making it one of the most immoral cities of the time. Indeed, to act like a Corinthian was basically the same as saying, hey, I'm going to practice fornication. And I couldn't help but think, Corinth boasted this outdoor theater that seated uh, close to 18,000, almost 20,000 people. Every two years, they had the special games there, the Isthmian Games, because it's located on this isthmus. And it was the second uh, greatest uh, events of the days, only to the Olympics at Olympia. There was a temple there of Aphrodite, and uh, that temple had a thousand prostitutes there ready and eager and willing to serve all who wanted to quote-unquote worship at the temple. And though it was a beautiful city, outwardly Corinth was rotten to the core. I don't mean to disparage uh, Las Vegas, but I'm telling you, it, it could have very similar things. What happens in Vegas stays in Vegas. Well, I, I think Corinth really probably coined that phrase long before anybody ever dreamed that up in Las Vegas. Um, Shirley and I and, and Jim Berg, we had the opportunity four years ago to go to a conference, an EFCA conference, and it was being held in Las Vegas. And I just remember, you know, here's what was so awesome about it. Las Vegas, to me, isn't that, like, great or appealing. Um, it's just a place that my family has stopped off when we've pulled our trailer for vacations. No, the kids do not get out. <laughs> we keep them in the trailer. And, and then, okay, early in the morning we're out of there again. You know, we've done that in the past. But uh, here's what was, what was incredible to me about this, this conference is it was being uh, kind of hosted by church planters who are trying to plant churches there. And it reminds me exactly of what the Apostle Paul did 
on his second missionary journey, when he stopped and he planted the church in Corinth, nobody else had done that. And Paul ended up spending over a year and a half there. And as I think about that background behind what's going on, behind the fact that there was a lot of money to be made, there was a lot of money to be spent, and there was a lot of opportunities to do anything you could think of. Anything you could think of. And so um, businessmen loved it. Sailors absolutely loved it. And the people who lived there loved it because there's all this money coming in. And it was just uh, wonderful to be there. So again, as we revisit and understand what this city was like, last week Roger read uh, Acts chapter 18, verses 1 through 17. And that was just the beginning part. And, and today, I, I want to get us going in, in looking at the rest of chapter 18. And so we're going to look at Acts chapter 18, verse 18, starting there, and reading until uh, chapter 19, verse 1. Because it's going to help us to have a better understanding of the people that we're going to see today and um, what we're talking about. So if you don't mind, you can follow along. If you can read it on the screen. If not, guess what? Doggone, you got to use your Bibles. That, 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 it's like, man, I can't believe it. So I, I know some of you are going, I got my phone, Craig. I can do this. So anyway, let's get started. Acts chapter 18, starting at verse 18. After this, Paul stayed many days longer than took, and then took leave of the brothers and set sail for Syria, and with him Priscilla and Aquila. At Centria, he had cut his hair, for he was under a vow. And they came to Ephesus, and he left them there, but he himself went into the synagogue and reasoned with the Jews. When they asked him to stay for a longer period, he declined. But on taking leave of them, he said, I will return to you if God wills. And he set sail from Ephesus. When he had landed at Caesarea, he went up and greeted the church, and they went down and then went down to Antioch. After spending some time there, he departed and went from one place to the next through the region of Galatia and Phrygia, strengthening all the disciples. Now a Jew named Apollos, a native of Alexandria, try and pick different descriptions that you see in this passage about Apollos. A Jew named Apollos, a native of Alexandria, came to Ephesus. He was an eloquent man, competent in the scriptures. He had been instructed in the way of the Lord, and being fervent in spirit, he spoke and taught accurately the things concerning Jesus, though he knew only the baptism of John. And he began to speak boldly in the synagogue. And when Priscilla and Aquila heard him, they took him and explained to him the way of God more accurately. And when he wished to cross to Achaia, the brothers encouraged him and wrote to the disciples to welcome him. When he arrived, he greatly helped those who through grace had believed. For he powerfully refuted the Jews in public, showing by the scriptures that the Christ was Jesus. Chapter 19, verse 1. And it happened that while Apollos was in Corinth, 
Paul passed through the inland country and came to Ephesus. And there he found some disciples. Now that's the background of where we're heading this morning. Okay, that's the background. Because we're going to be seeing Apollos uh, quite a bit. So as we read our passage this morning, 1 Corinthians chapter 10, starting in verse 10, he says, Paul writes, I appeal to you, brothers, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that all of you agree, and that there be no divisions among you, but that you be united in the same mind and the same judgment. For it has been reported to me by Chloe's people that there is quarreling among you, my brothers. What I mean is that each of you says, I follow Paul, or I follow Apollos, or I follow Cephas, or I follow Christ. Is Christ divided? Was Paul crucified for you? Or were you baptized in the name of Paul? I thank God that I baptized none of you except Crispus and Gaius, so that no one may say that you were baptized in my name. I did baptize also the household of Stephanus. Beyond that, I do not know whether I baptized anyone else. For Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel, and not with words of eloquent wisdom, lest the cross of Christ be emptied of its power. Now, there's a lot here, whether you realize it or not. And, uh, you know, the, the title uh, of this message is, you know, that I, I believe that people divided and Christ united. Pretty simple title, particularly when we look at this passage in a little more depth. People divided. People do it today. Same as back then. But Christ united, just like he still does today, just like he continues to do. And so one of the things I wanted us to see is, is some causes of division that we see in this passage. And I'm not starting at verse 10. I'm going to look at verse 11. And it's quarreling, for it has been reported to me by Chloe's people that there is quarreling among you, my brothers. Seems like a lot of churches quarrel, doesn't it? I, I read about it a lot. I've experienced it a lot. In fact, I made a short list, and this is short, of some of the things that churches quarrel about. So as you look at that list, you can see, hey, worship. How to worship. The style of worship. The song choices of worship. The instruments that are played in worship or that aren't played in worship. Uh, it's too loud in worship. How about preaching? Oh, it's too light. I need something heavy and deep. Oh, it's too deep. I need something a little lighter that I can understand. Okay? It's too long. Man, that was way too short. Right? I, I mean, we deal with this. How about theology within the preaching? The doctrine that's in there. Oh, I don't agree with that. Oh, I'm not sure about that. Hmm. Must be a Calvinist. Could they be an Ar Arminianist? I don't know. How about baptism? Sprinkled or immersed? Infant or child? Uh, forward or backwards? I mean, I, I, I've had so many different 
uh, people ask these questions because of their experiences at other churches. How about leadership? Some places, the lead pastor, I mean, they are the dictator. Some places, it's the elder board, but they say rules. Some places, it's congregational rule. The congregation determines everything. Um, what color of toilet paper you have in the bathroom. I mean, it gets ridiculous on some of these things. And, and then you look at denominations. Our, our church is associated with the Evangelical Free Church of America. But there's Baptists. There's non-denominationals. That's why I put non-denoms. That's not non-demons. And, uh, you know, uh, there's Lutherans. There's Charismatics. Pentecostals. Everything in between. How about other things that churches quarrel about? Finances. Boy, at my first church, there was knockdown, drag out fights. It wasn't fist fights, but it was fights of words that were like, I, I couldn't believe it. How cutting they were. Missions. We give too much to missions, we don't give enough to missions. Right, it goes back and forth. How about just the goals of the church? Oh, you're just too focused on numbers. You're not focused on, on numbers enough. We're, we're, um, we should just be focusing on our own church. We should be focusing outreach outside the church walls. Inreach or outreach? Again, short list. I'm sure you could add plenty more to that. But um, quarrels, we're going to be covering these in the weeks and the months ahead on, on this next slide. Uh, what issues will Paul be addressing with Corinth? Okay, it, all you have to do is, is look ahead in 1 Corinthians. You're going to see sexual immorality, church discipline, lawsuits, the role of women in church, uh, marriage, celibacy, divorce, remarriage, the whole spectrum there, food, what you can eat, what you can't eat, the Lord's Supper, spiritual gifts, and also key doctrinal issues, the resurrection. These are all areas that Paul had to deal with in this letter to the church. And so, you know, like I said, something, sometimes there's nothing new under the sun. But causes of divisions, quarreling, this is one. Uh, and Corinth quarreled about their leaders. Okay? So if, if you want to look at verses 11 and 12. For it has been reported to me by Chloe's people... That there is quarreling among you, my brothers. What I mean is that each of you says, I follow Paul, or I follow Apollos, or I follow Cephas, or I follow Christ. I can remember when I was a, a young Christian, not having very much confidence in my ability to uh, make the right choices when it came to theological issues. I was like, oh man, I don't know, I could go here or I could go here. Which, which way do I go? Oh, what's, what's right? 
And you'd have some verses that would seem to encourage this, and you'd have some verses that would seem to encourage this. And as a young believer, I was like, man, I don't know. So you know what I would do? I would start to take the people that I was reading, and they would be who I would put all of my, uh, like, everything in, my intellectual assets into their bank. And so if, if there was something I found from Chuck Swindoll, I go, oh, man, hey, Chuck Swindoll says this. And the reason why I did that is because if you wanted to disagree with me, it'd be like saying, well, that's fine. You can disagree with me, but you're saying Chuck's wrong, right? Also, I'd be reading, and, and, and as a young believer, I'd start accumulating different um, uh, commentaries. John MacArthur, John MacArthur says this. Are you going to disagree with me? Go ahead, I dare you. Right? And I would use it as like a weapon. I would use it as like, yeah, I'm in this camp or I'm in that camp. And it was, I wasn't owning it myself. None of those men would want that. And there's plenty others. I've got a lot of books in my office and, and, it's just because for me, that just helps me try to sort through things when I can read what others are saying about God's Word. Now, I love reading God's Word, but I got to tell you, I, I'm, I, I'm not the sharpest knife in the drawer. So I need some help. So I try to look at people that I respect, even with opposing views, so that I can get a better grasp on it. And that's the best I could think of in, in thinking about what was going on right here. Only the difference is, um, uh, I never had John MacArthur or Chuck Swindoll or J.I. Packer or any of those other men to like be there. They were my uh, spiritual uh, advisors in books only. These people... They had relationships with them. And so what they were basically doing is, hey, I follow Paul. Others, uh-huh. Yeah, Paul's good. Look kind of old, but he's all right. But I follow Apollos. He's for the young, smart guys. And the others, hey, I, I follow Cephas. And even this one, I follow Christ, we'll, we'll get to that in a second because it could mean one of two things. But the, the Corinthian leaders, so if you said, I follow Paul, okay, you were saying that, uh, hey, I follow the guy who planted this church. I trust him. He did life with us for a year and a half. That's the guy I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be in his camp with. His admirers were loyal to him. Paul was the guy who was reaching Jews and Gentiles. And when Roger read the beginning of 18 last week, and you know what? He got so upset with what happened in the synagogue, he was fine. I'm going to go take care of the Gentiles. I'm going to go preach to them. You can't get any more Gentilish, like how I make up words, than Corinth. Okay? You just can't. They're as far out there on the spectrum as can be. And so Paul's the guy 
He planted the church. He had the opportunity to lead people to Christ. They became believers. But Apollos, now when we read chapter 18, starting in verse 24 all the way to, to chapter 19, verse 1, we saw this guy was a dynamic teacher. That word that is translated competent, the Greek word dynatos, that's where we get dynamic. This guy is good. And you know what? We also read, I, I, I was encouraging you, remember some of these descriptions of him. He was eloquent. His admirers were spellbound by both his learning. It says he was a Jew who came from Alexandria down in Egypt. Man, that's, that was known for one of the best, if not the best, libraries. This guy knew his stuff. And he was educated from the Old Testament scriptures. Man, he was good. He could speak in a way that the Corinthians were like, ooh, we like this. He could speak in rhetoric. He's not boring. But if you were in Cephas's camp, which Cephas most likely was Peter, and even though we have no idea if Peter ever made it to Corinth, there were, there were believers who came there from Jerusalem. There were believers who came from Rome. Remember when said, hey, no more Christians here in Rome. So they scattered and they went on out. And so there were people who had, who had a relationship or an understanding with, with Cephas. And so that was kind of more the traditionalists. They were the ones who were like, yeah, if nothing else, we can trust that Cephas or Peter, Cephas meaning rock, right? Aramaic translation, he's safe. He's been around. He was an original apostle. He was the leader of the 12. You see where they can go with this? And it's creating factions. It's dividing up the people in the church in Corinth. They're getting caught up in this. This is not a good thing. And this last one, you know, where it says, or I follow Christ. Now, that could be either the spiritual elitists that said, hey, you three, you can follow those men. We only follow Christ. Ooh, we're special. It's almost like we get the special insight knowledge that you guys lack because we don't need a man to explain these things to us. We don't need a leader. We have Jesus himself. Now, it, it could mean that. I, I tend to think that's what the meaning is. But uh, others, the commentary, um, they've just said, well, you know what? That could be Paul's own view. He's just added in his own view onto there. Like, or I follow Christ. Because Paul would be like, yeah, that, that makes sense. That's what, I, that, that's what I do. But in the context of it, I, I just didn't think it, it fit in that way. But I want to read 1 Corinthians. We're going to drop down to a couple of chapters 
And again, one of the hardest things, I was talking to Roger this week, he said one of the hardest things is not to jump on in and take away steam from the upcoming passages, right? You don't want to be preaching a message and then just dive right on in to the chapters that are coming up because then when they come up, Roger's going to be like, uh, yeah, oh, okay, I think Craig covered that one or he covered that one or, you know, or, you know, so it, it's just kind of weird. But I just want us to, to see how there's no evidence that the leaders, either Paul or Apollos or, or Peter, there's no evidence that there was quarrels between them. It was just the people who were doing this. 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 3 through 9. For you are still of the flesh, for while there is jealousy and strife among you, are you not of the flesh and behaving only in a human way? For when one says, I follow Paul, and another, I follow Apollos, are you not being merely human? What then is Apollos? What is Paul? I love this answer. Servants through whom you believed. He doesn't try to make themselves anything greater, anything bigger than who they are. They are servants of the Lord. And through their service, people came to saving faith. They came to an understanding of the gospel. And through that, they entered into this new relationship with Jesus Christ. <coughs> and he says, as the Lord assigned to each. They didn't choose it. God chose it. And then notice what he writes in, in verse 6 and 7. He says, I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the growth. <coughs> so neither he who plants nor he who waters is anything, but only God who gives the growth. Doesn't sound like uh, Paul is too upset with Apollos, or that he's kind of like, yeah, you guys started this, and now, you know, I'm kind of mad at him, or I'm jealous of him, or he's jealous of me. No, none of that. And then we can read in, in verses 8 and 9, <coughs> he who plants and he who waters are one. I love that. There's a unity there. There's a recognition there of what one does and what the other's doing. And again, it comes back to as the Lord assigned to them. And he says, and each will receive his wages according to his labor. Verse 9, for we are God's fellow workers. You are God's field, God's building. <coughs> Drop down to verses 21 to 23. It says, So let no one boast in men, for all things are yours, whether Paul or Apollos, and then he brings back Cephas into here, or the world of life, or death, or the present, or the future, all are yours, and you are Christ's, and Christ is God's. Seems to me like those three are pretty united. They didn't create this faction. They didn't create this other uh, system. And then we drop down to chapter 4 of 1 Corinthians, verse 6. It says, I have applied all these things to myself and Apollos 
for your benefit, brothers, that you may learn by us. Now, if there was quarreling, if there was stuff going on, he wouldn't be encouraging the people that you learn by both of us. But he's encouraging a unity and to go beyond what is written, that none of you may be puffed up in favor of one against another. I got to tell you, when I was talking to my friends, I would get puffed up when I could quote somebody else. Oh, boy, did I get puffed up. It made me feel so good. Like, oh, yeah, I'm in the right camp. Until I come across somebody else who is smarter than me and who is a little more mature than me, and then they could debate something that I said, and then they could give uh, a whole, whole better argument for something, and I'd be like, oh, I mean, I got humbled bad, big time. And so, you know, uh, I, I wanted to talk about our differences. When you bring it, let, let's bring it into today's situation. Example, Roger and myself, okay? Um, we have different gifts. We have different styles. We have different strengths and different weaknesses. We've got some similarities, too. Seems like some of our weaknesses, we have some similarities, too. So guess what? We're praying for each other. Almost, almost on a daily manner. Because there's just some areas of like, man, I need, I need prayer in this area. And he's asking me, you know, telling me the same kind of things. Different styles just of how we preach, of how we interact. And yet, there's not quarreling. We can have difference of opinions. He doesn't want a yes man. And guess what? I'm not a yes man. But I think that's because God wants me to be able to challenge and, and encourage him and stretch him in ways that whatever God needs to stretch him. I've had the privilege of watching him. Wow. Look at that. I know. Miles is like, man, I'm not touching these things. We, we, we're, obviously, we're having problems with the lights. But, um, you know, I had the privilege of going out with Roger once a month when he would lead some really cool classes out at uh, Fullerton Free helping people to get licensed and just watching him talk and ask questions uh, about doctrine and theology I, I just I'd be sitting there just like man the way he can think on his feet the way he can just write to scripture for his answers I'm like oh. I don't know about you but there's a lot of times I go yeah yeah I I know where that's at I, I know I know it's in in First Corinthians, I just, I'm not sure what chapter it's in, you know, or something like that. It's like, man, he, he can just nail it. And so, you know, I, I look at that, and, and there's no cause for division here. I've been on other staffs where there have been, and that's painful. It's hard as a staff member. It's hard for a church to have to endure that. But another cause of division, I think, in here is, is we look at verses 13 and 17. It's pride. Not Paul's pride. Not Apollos' pride. Not Peter's pride. But it's the Corinthians' pride. Look with me. Is Christ divided? 
It's Paul's question. He says, was Paul crucified for you? Or were you baptized in the name of Paul? I mean, let's just stop right there. He's, he, man, he has to correct their misplaced allegiance. And you know, that's a godly person who can correct people when they're trying to praise him. But he knows it's the wrong praise. He knows it's divisive for the church. He knows he's receiving credit for something that only Jesus should receive credit for. And so he stops them. And he just nails them with these questions. He says, I thank God that I baptized none of you except for Crispus and Gaius, so that no one may say that they were baptized in my name. And then in verse 16 he said, I did baptize also the household of Stephanus. Beyond that, I do not know whether I baptized anyone else. I just imagine he's penning this, or he's reciting it, and all of a sudden he's kind of like, wait, hold on. Yeah, yeah, there was somebody else. I did baptize that, that household of Stephanus. Yeah, okay, put that on in there, right? But he, he's not looking at that it's like, yes, that's right, I'm your spiritual leader. And therefore, because I helped lead you to Christ, and now I'm going to baptize you. Guess what? When we have baptisms, um, it, it's going to be pretty cool because uh, uh, some of the people that are, are getting baptized, guess what? I'm not baptizing them. Roger's not baptizing them. But their family members are. Their youth leader is. And that's so cool. And, and Paul's trying to bring out here, hey, man, I'm not your savior. Get it straight, people. I've been trying to teach you about the savior. I've been giving you the gospel. I gave it to you for over a year and a half, and even when I've left, and I hear reports from Chloe's people saying, uh-oh, man, there's problems. And then he gets the letter that the Corinthians send to him because they didn't understand a, a missing letter. It's, it, it's not uh, uh, scripture. It was just a letter. And it went lost. And then they had questions from that letter. So even though we, this is 1 Corinthians, this is the second letter that he sent to them, actually. And so once he got that report, as far as their questions, that's what we'll find when we start going through chapter 7 through the rest, through 16. That's going to address their questions from his first letter. But right here, he's, again, man, I'm not your Savior. And you weren't baptized in my name. Don't do that to me. And he didn't use impressive speech. See verse 17, for Christ did not send me to baptize. Now, he's not making, he's not putting baptism down, okay? He's just saying his purpose, okay, he's to plant. Others can baptize. Jesus, he left the, he left the apostles to do the baptizing. What do you say at the end of Matthew chapter 28? Everybody go and Make disciples, baptizing them. Jesus didn't say, yeah, whoa, it's not, it, it doesn't count unless I do it. No, it wasn't like that at all. 
And so Paul's trying to correct these Corinthians. Again, when you take into account the fact that, that they had a lot of money, so they thought, hey, they could do whatever they want. They know what's going on. They were very worldly. So they, in their eyes, they're, they're very wise. I'm not trying to, that sounded bad. But in their minds, they were sharp people because they're good business people. So they, they had all this. And that's not how it works. Paul was saying, I didn't use impressive speech. Look at why. Lest the cross of Christ be emptied of its power. He didn't want to speak in such a way that maybe would better communicate to the people at the cost of the people thinking, wow, they came to Christ because of how he could speak. He was conscious of that. He did not want the cross to be emptied of its power. Well, that's it on, on the causes of division, but Christ brings unity. Now we'll go back to verse 10. Paul writes, I appeal to you, brothers, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that all of you agree and that there be no divisions among you, but that you be united in the same mind and in the same judgment. Christ is the one who brings unity. Nobody else. And, and when he reads this, this appeal, it's an urging, it's an exhortation. It's like, guys, come on, you've got to get this. This is important. It wasn't just a, another sentence or, a, or another point that he wanted to try to make. This is serious, so serious, and he says, Brothers, a lot of translations, brothers and sisters. It was for everybody. It wasn't just for the men. Everybody, you've got to get this. Please, I beg you, I urge you. And it, in what? His own power, his own strength, his own knowledge, his own wisdom? No. By the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. He's not going to compromise who Christ is. By the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. And, and I urge you, by his name, you got to agree. Because this is not good. I mean, we're the church. He's not talking to all the Gentile Corinthians who are, who are not followers of Christ. He's talking to the church. How sad of a statement is that? It says that all of you agree. And so Christ brings unity what, when we can agree. When there are no divisions. When we are united or restored. It's the same uh, word that's found in, in Mark chapter 1 where Jesus is going out and, and calling his disciples, and, and there's two of them mending the nets. They're restoring the net. They're knitting it together. 
Another um, picture that, that uh, I saw, a uh, mind picture, was um, thinking of a quilt where you take a whole bunch of packs, pieces of quilts and you're like, huh? But then when somebody puts them together in this different design and, and puts them all together and then knits them together or sews them together or however they're put together, it's this beautiful tapestry. And that's, that's kind of the picture we're to have. That's what it looks like when we are united with each other. We are a beautiful tapestry. And when we're united, it means we're of the same mind. That means we have one thought. Jesus Christ. Him crucified. Savior. Redeemer. God's Son. And the same judgment. That means we have one purpose. To preach the gospel. And that's what it looks like when Christ brings unity. When we can get past our differences, when we can get past uh, the things that are like, ah, I don't know if I like that or not. Folks, I love Paul because he, he, he's able to so simply bring things right down to the core. Isn't he? And I don't know about you, but oftentimes I get distracted from the main thing. I do. I, do, I get too caught up in all these other things. Some of the things like Roger and I, we talk about a lot, is when we're praying for each other, can you pray for me that I do the most important thing, not the good thing? There's a whole bunch of good things that, you know what, I, I still don't make it through my day getting, getting past them, but we've recognized that we're not doing the best thing. We're not doing what God has called us and created us to do when we're doing a whole bunch of these other pretty good things. And I think some of you could, can relate to that and can see that as a struggle in your own lives as well. But Christ, and only Christ, is the one who can bring unity. Unity in ourselves, right? Body, mind, spirit, and unity with one another. Let's pray. Lord, thank you so much for just the simple truth of who Jesus is and the fact that you had a plan before creation and you knew who would be born before anyone else. Lord, and I just want to lift up our church that we would not get caught up in trying to promote any person or any idea or any uh, doctrine even that would distract us from being focused on you and you alone. 
Would you give us the courage and the strength to share the gospel? Each and every one of us, young and old, Lord, that we would trust you to be able to do that. Thank you for giving us the opportunity in our families, in our jobs, here at church, and anywhere we may be at to proclaim Jesus and give the good news to as many people as we possibly can. So we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.